want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, in fact, we've got a theme verse. And it's uh, part of the portion of scripture I'm going to be preaching from today. Do we have that? Yeah, we've got it on the screen here. I want us to read it together. And uh, at the count of three, let's all, let's all read it together. One, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go back a few verses to verse 11. You're reading out of the New King James here this morning. Ephesians 2, verse 11 says this, uh, Therefore, remember you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, Without God in the world. And now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, whom you were once afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making uh, thus putting to death the enmity, and came and preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who are no longer, uh, I'm messed up here, um, far off and to those who were near. Uh, for through him we have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer, here's our familiar verse, strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wow, I know that's a lot, but by the grace of God, we're going to get through it. You're going to understand it. It's going to bless you. Uh, let's just pray and ask the Lord's hand on this message right now. Uh, Lord, I just do. I thank you for your word. And I just pray, mighty God, that your anointing would just rest in this place, that you would anoint every person within the sound of my voice. Give us eyes to see, ears that hear, a heart, a mind that perceives what your spirit is speaking to us today. I ask that an anointing would rest upon me, that God, out of my own strength or wisdom, I wouldn't minister, but God, under the unction of your Holy Spirit, only that which you desire to say, only that which your word would declare, God, let that be which proceeds from me today. And I bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract or distort, confuse, or twist the word of God. I pray that, Lord, you would give us a liberty in receiving your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is a, a, a really awesome passage. And it begins kind of in a, in a hard place. Uh, you know, it's talking about circumcision, uncircumcision, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit. But how many of you... Have ever felt unwanted? You ever felt unwanted? Have you ever been the last guy to get picked for 
you know, dodgeball or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's not, a, that's not a fun thing, right? Uh, uh, everybody's uh, picking their teams, baseball, whatever, and, uh, and you're the one. Uh, my kids were telling me about, I, I love some of the sports they play here in Hawaii. They were t- teaching me about doo-doo ball the other day. And I'm like, that sounds like a fun game. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, do you get picked last for doo-doo ball? Maybe you want to be. I don't know. But uh, you've been that guy. Have you ever tried for a job? You apply for a job and you didn't get it. Or, uh, man, maybe just something you were hoping for. I, I just, uh, man, I, we're, we're, we're going to try and go for this house. And it ended up getting sold to somebody else. I think we've all had moments. In fact, I was thinking about, I played football. And my junior year playing football, I wasn't a, a great football player. Couldn't make a career of it. But I'll never forget, we had... Uh, we were playing. We went all the way to the state championships. We were really in the finals of this thing, and we lost. And I would have rather lost early on. That's not funny, son. I need healing. So he's laughing at me. But I would have rather lost early on, you know. But to go that far to get into the, you know, the semifinals and the quarterfinals, the semifinals, you know, all the way to the very end, and then to lose it. Nobody wants a silver medal. I want the gold. I want to be first place, right? I don't, who cares about second place? I still lost. And I think we all can relate to maybe a moment like that where, you know, man, you've been let down. You, you, you had some failure or something. But what's interesting is our text today begins making a comparison. And Paul is reminding people, he's, there was this whole division that was going on in Ephesus where they were comparing uh, the circumcision and the uncircumcised. That was a term for the covenant people of God. These were those who were Israelites and those who were Jews and had been received into that faith. And, and that was the mark of the covenant was circumcision. And there was this massive division. Well, you're not Jewish. You're not circumcised. You're not a child of covenant. And so you don't have any of these promises. And he actually lists them. In fact, I, I'd encourage you to write them down because it's the foundation of what we're going to do. He describes the state of anybody who was not a Jew, and, and I would submit to you, I mean, unless you're, you're Jewish by faith and by blood, I mean, you can be, uh, you can be uh, what's the word, proselytized. You can date that process, but it's years and years and years. But um, what began, he begins to list uh, pretty much where every single one of us are. And there's five things that he says. First of all, this is out of verse uh, 12. He says, uh, you have no Savior. He says, you were without Christ. Everybody say, no Savior. That's a terrible place to be in. He says, you have no citizenship. That's the second one. You have no citizenships. You are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. I mean, you guys, I can't imagine what it would be like living in Old Testament days where you have Israel and God's intention from the very beginning. You remember even when they started talking about a king. We want a king like the other people. He says, I don't want you to have a king. I'm your king. I mean, you imagine where your king is God himself. That's pretty cool. There was a reputation, even as Moses and Joshua and and those guys began to expand the territory of Israel, everybody became afraid of Israel because there was this reputation that God himself would fight for Israel. That's a big deal. But you imagine looking at that and, boy, I'd like to be a part of that. You can't. You're not Jewish. You're not circumcised. You're not a part of this. No citizenship. Sorry. That's the people he's talking to right here. And then it says, number three, there were no promises. 
It says you're strangers from the covenant. The covenant is a, this, these are agreements that are made between God and man. So there's no blessings. There's no eternal life. There's no heaven. You're not Jewish. Too bad. You don't receive this. Number four, there was no hope. It says that in, in the next verse, having no hope. And then in verse five, it says, no God without God in the world. Now, that's heavy, and I know that's, that's real kind of negative, but I'll tell you, sometimes where we miss how good the good, this is why I, I get you know, kind of concerned about pastors that never talk about sin. You don't know why. Nobody will ever understand how good it is to have a Savior and how good it is to have forgiveness if you don't understand the reality of sin and the punishment of sin. But if we have an awareness that, you know what, I am a sinner, and without God, my future is in hell. No ifs, ands, or buts. I can be as good a person as ever walked the face of this earth. I have still fallen short of God's holy standard. And when we understand that, all of a sudden, it becomes so incredible. God, you were so good to me. Even while I was a sinner, you loved me, and you died for me, and you have called me, and you have redeemed me, and you have saved me, and now I have a future, and I have a hope. And you, you understand, we never understand the bad news. We never appreciate the good news. And so that's where I'm, I'm talking about. Man, this is heavy. This is what each and every one of us were before we had Jesus. You had no Savior, no citizenship, no promise, no hope, no God. But look at the next verse, verse 13. But now. Everybody say, but now. But now. You ought to look for the buts in the Bible, okay? My, my brother, Jeremy, he's going to start coming over, by the way. He's going to do some ministry here on the big island. Start praying for Hilo, and he's gonna, he'll, he'll preach for us some too. But he said he's going to preach a series one day called Great Butts of the Bible. And I told him, Jeremy, that's not appropriate. You can't, you can't do that, but... But I understand where he's coming. This is one of those great buts, I'm telling you. But now, you, you had no hope, no blessing, no promise, no citizenship, no God, no Savior. But now, in Christ, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So we're going to undo all of these. Uh, you know, I gave you five negatives, but they're all undone in the next few verses. So first of all, you had no Savior. But guess what? Now, because of Jesus, you have a Savior. You have a Savior. And uh, because Jesus, you, are, you who are far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. To be reconciled means at one time there was tension, there was wrath, there was enmity, there was warfare, but now we have been brought into a peaceful, loving relationship. That's what reconciliation is. Think about, you might be fighting with a sibling, but when you're reconciled, you make peace, and now, man, okay, now, now we're back together. In fact, I, I like, have you ever seen that one shirt? Where, uh, you know, you give your kids who are arguing, you get them one big shirt and you put them both in the same shirt. You call that the reconciliation shirt, right? So if you got bickering kids, you try that, right? Anyway, uh, we have been reconciled. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So now we've been reconciled. And guess what? Now you have a job. You're a reconciler. Now you say, hey, 
I, I, I know what it's like to not have peace in life. I know what it's like to be apart from God. I know what it's like to have the, the dread of death and hell for all eternity. But guess what? I have peace in my life. And you can too. That's the message that we all carry. That's good news, friend. And so it says this is not imputed our trespasses to them. He committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is still 2 Corinthians 4. In verse 20, oh my goodness, watch this. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I know that's a mouthful, but let me, let me try and make it simple for you. He, the Father God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He was perfect, sinless, Son of God, in the flesh, on the earth, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law, absolutely, totally righteous and holy. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's a big deal. What he has done, we call it the great exchange. This is the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus lived a perfect life. We have lived sinful lives. And if we would receive what Jesus has done, what God is willing to do is take the righteousness of his son Jesus and apply it to our life and to take our sinful life and apply it to Jesus on the cross it was done away with. And so now one day when we stand before God on judgment day, he's going to look at us and say, enter in, good faithful servant. He's going to see the righteousness, the holiness of his son applied to your life. If you haven't said it already, say thank you, Jesus. We all need that. We all need that. No matter how good you've been, you were born praying in tongues, you know, you got baptized right out the womb, you still need Jesus. We all need a Savior. And so you, you look in, in, in what it's, there's this great exchange that has happened and Man, God wants to do this for each and every one of us. We have the ministry of reconciliation. I'd encourage you, a healthy exercise, and maybe you've not taken time to do this for quite some time, but I encourage everybody to take a moment and reflect on what it was like to be without Jesus. What was your life like before you came to know the Savior? Do you remember what it was like to feel empty and alone? I tell you, it's one of the things that, that gives me a conviction to do altar calls every week and to pray for opportunities to witness and invite people to come into the house of God. I, I pray for that stuff all the time. That's why we pray all the time for our family and friends. Why? Because I remember what it was like to be lost. I remember going to bed every night and feeling empty and alone. Guys, I, I self-medicated. I mean, people have all kinds of reasons that they party. But for me, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. I, I, I felt like, I mean, just depression and fear. And I mean, I'd lay down at night and sometimes I'd, I'd feel like I'd look over my shoulder at the door and I feel like a demon was standing at the door just ready to, to drag me to hell. I mean, I had fearful moments growing up, and, uh, and so I'd medicate myself. I'd smoke weed, and I'd, just, I'd get stoned out of my brain every single night just so I could fall asleep. I'd listen to music. One of the most torturous things that I ever experienced was silence. Because every time it was quiet, I felt one of two things. 
I either felt the harassing of the enemy or I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't like either one of those things. And so I'd pump music and I'd constantly have music. I, I never wanted to have silence. I didn't even want to be alone. That's why I tried to get around groups of friends and, and parties and, and I was always on sports teams and I always had jobs because I hated being alone and I hated being in silence. But you guys know my story on July 6th of 2004. I had a drug overdose. I was, I was hooked on cocaine for a number of years. I didn't share this in the first service, but I was hooked on cocaine for a number of years. And uh, I mean, blew thousands of dollars. There was a time where I had, where I had dealers coming and knocking on my mom's door. And I'll never forget the day my two-year-old brother goes and answers the door and there's a dealer there looking for their money because I'd made a promise. Oh, I'll pay you tomorrow. I mean, guys, I was, I was so far gone. And that night, I was doing all of these drugs and all of a sudden I just, I felt like my heart began racing in a way that I couldn't control and I began to panic. I began having a panic attack. I, I get out of the car and, and as soon as I roll out of my car, I, I hit the ground and I'm, I'm throwing up and I'm, I'm, I'm wetting myself and I, I was dying there in that parking lot of July 6, 2004. And while I was there in that parking lot, I began to cry out to God, Jesus. Jesus, save me. I wasn't rocking right with God, but I knew that if there was a Savior in the world, I could call on Him in that moment. And I, I began to cry out, Jesus, save me. And I was so out of my mind, I felt like, I mean, I, would, I didn't even feel like I was in my body. I don't know if I prayed out loud or if it was the cry of my heart. That moment seemed to stretch on for an eternity. But as I was there, laying in that parking lot, dying, I felt the presence and power of the Holy Spirit come upon my physical body. And within just a moment, I was completely sobered. And I was completely, I was completely made whole. I remember standing to my feet and looking around knowing that I almost just died. But that God was gracious to me. And that He had raised me up from that moment. And I'll tell you guys, I understand today that every single day that I live, I'm living on borrowed time. I should have died in 2004, but I'm still here in 2021. And that's why I burn. That's why, that's why we'll have five services if we need to. Because if there's people hungry to come and to be in the presence of God, we're going to do what we can. Oh my goodness. I know I'm telling you my story. What's your story? What was your hopelessness? What was your brokenness, your depression, your suicidal moment, your addiction? What has God brought you out of? Take time to remember, God, I was without a Savior, but you saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being a good God. Oh, I'm telling you, it'll keep your heart ripe for what God desires to do in the world today. I like this next verse. Oh, I hope that was okay. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, Jesus himself, he himself is our peace. Oh my goodness. If there's anything that we need in this day, we need peace. People are stressed about COVID and they're stressed about the jobs and they're stressed about politics and they're stressed about everything. And I'll tell you, those are all things that we should be concerned about in one way or another. But life is a lot easier when you have peace made manifest walking hand in hand in life with you. Jesus himself 
is peace. That's what Ephesians 2.14 says. He himself is our peace. If you're not at peace in life, if you feel alone, if you feel constant fear and anxiety, I encourage you to invite peace himself to come and do life with you. What a joy. What a blessing. You guys ever had that moment where, you know, you might be in a situation where you're afraid, but man, if your dad's with you, oh, it's okay. You got, I don't know if you guys ever had, you know, I, I wasn't a real big kid. I like, I went through a growth spurt after I turned 18. You know, I got big when I got to college. I was a little kid, and, uh, but I had big friends. And I tell you, I'd go into certain situations. If I was by myself, I'd be freaked out. But I had a couple big friends, and, uh, you know, you, you feel better. And you got, you got peace that's willing to walk through this life with you. Amen? Now watch what he says. He said, uh, verse 14, he himself is our peace. He made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. I know that's another mouthful, but, but let me make it real simple here. He abolished in his flesh what Jesus Christ himself accomplished. The law, the commandments, the ordinances were abolished. That's, that's good news. I don't know if you've ever read Leviticus and been overwhelmed. Well, how in the world am I going to do all that kind of stuff? Do I have to do In fact, you'll watch people all the time. Uh, they'll, they'll quote these Old Testament passages, right? It's, it's usually in response to, well, how can you say homosexuality is wrong when you're wearing a mixed fabric shirt? Have you ever heard somebody say that? You're wearing, did you eat shrimp? Because, well, you're not supposed to eat that. You enjoy pork chops and bacon. And so uh, how can you condemn a homosexual? And so, you know, here's, here's what I want you to understand. There are, there are things within the Bible. There are laws. And most of these laws that he's talking about here in a few, what is what is Jesus abolished? When you're dealing with ceremonial law, Levitical law, with things around feasts and sacrifices, this is why we don't practice animal sacrifice in our services. This is why I don't ask you in our membership interviews, have you been circumcised? Praise God. Aren't you thankful, right? We, we don't. We don't check for that kind of stuff. What I want to know, <laughs> man, this is real though. This is literally what he's talking about here. That was the, that was the decider. What I, man, this is straight Bible. I will, ne- listen, I'll say things that might shock you, but I will never say more than what the Bible says. And the Bible says that, okay? So, we got to deal with it. What, what we do look for is, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe in Jesus? Now, so where does, so the ceremonial and, and those laws, there's, there's terms. I, I didn't want to bring it out today. I'm not going too deep on that. But what I do want you to know is there is a moral law. Everybody say moral law. The moral law has not been abolished. The ministry of Jesus doesn't mean that we can live however we want to. No, the Ten Commandments are still a wonderful standard. Now, I haven't tattooed the Ten Commandments on me and just like make sure every day that I'm doing that. No, because the Bible says in Romans that that law has now been inscribed upon our heart. That law has not passed away. That law has been inscribed on our heart. And so there's things that every one of us know what it's like to feel conviction when we take something that's not ours. Or we tell a lie to our parents. We experience that from the youngest of ages. We know that there's right and wrong because God has seared things, the Bible says, on our conscience and in our heart. And so don't freak out over looking through Leviticus and, you know, finding all these things. And one thing I pointed out, and can I just give you one bonus point 
it might get me banned from Facebook and all social media forever. Um, somebody had asked the question. They said, you know, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, so why do, why do we? But I would remind you, there's a, there's a common theology, and it's, it's a very well-known, this isn't, you know, just some King's Kona doctrine or Pastor Jacob thought. There is an idea called a Christophany or a theophany. Anybody know what that is? It's a physical manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. You realize Jesus was there in creation. Jesus was there. He was the one who had the conversation with Abraham. Hey, look at the stars. Look at the sand. He was the one who wrestled with Jacob in the wilderness. Jesus manifests Christophany, theophany in the flesh. He was there. The Bible in Hebrews, it even talks about how Jesus was the rock that was with Moses and the children of Israel that was with them. Jesus was there. Did you know? When Sodom and Gomorrah in that whole episode, do you know who came to scope out Sodom and see Jesus. Jesus himself came. He came, two angels, they talked with Abraham. That's the whole, if you find 50 righteous, 30 righteous, that whole deal. And Jesus was the one who made the call, no, this is wicked, and we're going to deal with this. Don't think, well, Jesus came and he abolished that, and so now we can just do whatever we want to. I don't need to get married, and I can sleep with whoever I want to, and I can, no, God affirms the moral law. Jesus affirms the moral law. He enforced it Old Testament and New Testament. And so, anyway, ceremonial law, Levitical law, abolished. You don't need to try and live that way. Praise the Lord. Moral law, there is still right and wrong. There is still good and evil. And you and I, we just want to do what's pleasing to the Lord. So ask Holy Spirit, convict me if I'm in sin. Convict me if I say something stupid. Convict me if I'm thinking wrong things. And God will deal with us that way. Amen? Yeah. All right. Number, uh, let's see, verse 16. Look at this. It says, uh, oh, I, I skipped one thought. This is very important. Verse 15, it says, He creates in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. You know what the two men that He's talking about here? Talking about circumcised and uncircumcised. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. Guess what? In the eyes of God, they're not two separate any longer. It's not Jew or Gentile. No, we have been brought together and made one new man. That man's name is Christian. And you and I are Christians. I don't know if anybody, somebody told me after the first service, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Jewish and, uh, you know, I got a little Jewish blood. Guess what? That doesn't mean that I get a, a house closer to the, key, the throne of God uh, in heaven than you do or anything like that. Uh, I mean, praise God. It's a wonderful, rich heritage, but we're Christians. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So there's no longer Jew or Gentile, circumcised or un. God has broken down that wall of division. He has abolished the laws that separate. We're one new man. That man is Christian. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, uh, through the cross putting to death the enmity. Now, uh, this is number two. I know the, the other ones go really fast, I promise. Number two, we went from having no promises to being a receiver of promises. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Again, 
Paul listed five things. You had no Savior. You had no promises. List a number of other things. But look, he's undoing it right now. We have been reconciled. That means that we, have, we are now part and partaker of the promises of God. That means you and I can lay hold of incredible promises that, that God has for us today. It's what I've been talking about for the last number of weeks. Look for all the times you see in the Bible. In Christ. In Him. All of these things that bring us into God's blessing and God's favor and His goodness. There's things that you and I can lay hold of. In fact, even in Romans, now here's what's very interesting. You and I, the Bible says, have been grafted into this, you know, Romans gives this picture of a tree that was Israel, essentially, and how you and I have been grafted into those promises. We've been joined together in that. That means when you, you know, so Eugene shared with us a verse today about how, um, you know, he was talking about the tithe and how God even gives us the power to generate wealth. Well, but that was in the Old Testament. That's fine. That was a promise to the children of covenant. And because you and I have been grafted into those promises, because we are seated in Christ Jesus, guess what? We can receive and lay hold of promises that we see in Scripture. I know this is, I mean, this is really elementary, but, but some of us need to grab hold of that. Some of you, I mean, man, if you, if you need healing in your body, you just begin getting into the Word. doesn't matter if it's Old or New Testament. You begin taking the Word and you begin digesting that thing, getting that thing in your heart, getting it in your life. If you're in a place where, man, I'm believing for breakthrough. I need, I need a new job. I need increase in my finances. Begin to dig into those verses and begin to, man, eat that stuff. It's so, so very important. You are what you eat, right? That's biblical. It's really true. All right. Now, now, verse 17, look at this. He came and he preached peace to those, uh, to you who are far off and to those who are near. Ver, uh, number three, number three, we went from having no hope to having hope. Hallelujah. And what I like personally is that hope came through preaching. That's wonderful. Now, in this context, Jesus actually is the, is the preacher in this passage. Uh, But the Lord is speaking, and I shared the verse earlier about how God is pleading through all of us. He pleads through me. He pleads through you. Get right with God. And now there is hope. Romans uh, 10.13 says this, Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on Him if they have not believed? How will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they preach without, or how will they hear without a preacher? I believe in the preaching of the word, if you can't tell. Hear what I'm about to say. Now, and, and pay attention before you quickly say amen. There's a quote. Preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. Don't say amen. It's always necessary to use words. It's always necessary to... How will they hear without a preacher? Now, I agree. Don't preach with your mouth and undermine the message with your life. I understand what, what was that guy's father? St. Francis of Assisi, that's right, thank you. You know, I, I, I hear the heart of it and I don't disagree with the heart of it. Live the gospel. Be a son of God or a daughter of God in the earth. Yes, reflect on Jesus well. Don't undermine the message of the gospel by your life. However, 
There are moments that we must open our mouth and begin to share. That's how hope comes. That's how salvation is released. That's why I, I, that's why I preach the word. And it's why, be careful what you listen to, friend. I mean, really. You, you know what I've spent this last week doing? I mean, the, the reason I get fired up and, the, you know, how I stay like this is, uh, you know, I don't just listen to cute messages on, online. I, I just don't. I mean, people send me, you know, oh, you want to be the next Stephen Furtick? I could, I could care less. I really could. And he's all right, you know, whatever. I'm, but I, I don't, that's not my desire in life. No, I, I'm reading, I'm, I've been reading Wigglesworth this last week. I mean, that's, that's who, you, you want to know what I want to be like? I, I don't care. Lord, I had 10 million followers on Instagram. Aren't you proud of me? I mean, listen, God can give influence and, and people use that platform. I, I really want you to hear my heart. I'm not being critical of, of that. There are people who God uses mightily. I don't think God's going to care about my Instagram following when I stand before him on judgment day, especially when he created me. And this is just me to be a revivalist. So I'm listening to Wigglesworth. I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading again a Steve Hill book and uh, reading about his testimony and how he saw Brownsville released. Uh, this morning we're listening to John Kilpatrick. And, uh, I mean, I'm listening to these testimonies. I was reading these articles. The, it was the Journal of Charles Finney. And Charles Finney, I mean, he was, a, he was a great revivalist, I'm telling you. And he was talking about the great revival that swept through the Methodist church. You know, the Methodists were radical when they first started. Did you know that? The Methodists used to practice what they call carpet time. These guys would come down and they're going through their, their, their methods. Uh, they had certain things. They did every single service. It was very rigid. However, the Holy Ghost would begin to break out. And these guys would fall on the ground and they would experience what they called carpet time. Well, what was interesting is this mighty revival is going on in the Methodist church. Finney is there. He's preaching. And in the Presbyterians, the local Presbyterians start to become very critical. Well, why are people falling on the ground? That's weird. That's emotion. That's uh, all the same stuff people say about it today. So what's interesting is Finney, I mean, he doesn't try and address it. He just goes on with the ministry. He's standing up there. He's preaching the word of God. And all of a sudden, the power of God begins to show. He's not praying. He's just preaching. The power of God comes down into that auditorium and people start getting hit by the power of God in their chair, falling out of their seats, into the aisles, all over the floor. Now, he assumes, it's probably the Methodist, this is how the Lord moves amongst them. But after the service, he begins talking to the people, come to find out, none of the Methodists that day got hit by the power of God. Every Presbyterian who came into that church to criticize the move of God was getting hit by the power of God, laid out in the Spirit. I mean, that's awesome, man. That's a, like, I, I want that kind of stuff. Let critics come and let them experience. I just, see, that's the kind of stuff that I, I, I you know, you send me your cute sermon clips. That's fine, you know, whatever. My wife tells me you should cut your hair like this guy, whatever, all right. But, uh, for me, no, she doesn't really say that. I just, <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know. My heart burns for something else. When it really comes down to it, I just, I want to see a move of God. I just want to see a move of God. And so uh, that's who I listen to. And I encourage you, what is it you desire of the Lord? 
What is it that you're believing God for? I'd encourage you, you know, seek after those things. I didn't have any of the prophetic, but I just say, I want to prophesy. So I start listening to prophets and getting around prophets and reading the prophets. And uh, all of a sudden, the Lord starts using me that way. And God can do the very same thing in you. It's just like, well, I want to see more miracles. We'll start listening to miracle preachers. And I'll just, I'm going to give you a hint. Most of what you see, most of the top 10 guys you hear preaching in the nation or preaching on TV are not that. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing it with a lot of you guys. That's fine. Can I give you one Steve Hill thought? He said, <laughs> he said one time about Christian television. And, and, and no one thing. Steve Hill was on social media. He loved Twitter. He was constantly throwing, putting stuff out there. He was on Christian television, okay? So I'm not saying this stuff is bad. Please don't mishear me. I'm on all that stuff too. But he encouraged, he said, kneel by your TV sometime. Turn on Christian television. And wait for the opportunity to give your life to the Lord. It's like you're going to be waiting a long time. And that's where you see the heart of, of, of a lot of what goes on. You guys, I've made the commitment. You come to one service in this church, you're going to have the opportunity to get right with God. You never have to wonder, if I, if I bring my lost family member, will they have the opportunity to make a commitment? to? They'll have the opportunity. Every time. They always will. Because I have a burden for the lost. Wow, hallelujah. Okay, I better move on. Praise God. So, it says this, uh, where are we at? Verse 19, look at this. Uh, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members, and you are members of the household of God. So we go, number four, from no citizenship to now we're citizens. Or maybe you want to write this down instead. We are members of the household of God. That's an awesome thing. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, you belong here. Okay, not everybody did it. Everybody, so now look at your other neighbor right now. Everybody, you belong here. This, we're a family. We're a family. You know, one, of the thing, one of the things I love about Jonathan Nero, I gave a, a quiz that not many people past this the first service so I'm not even going to try again but you'll notice that every time Jonathan comes or goes he's like hello family or aloha family uh, it's always family with him and I like that I like that every time you know he'll tell me about a conversation he had with Eugene he doesn't say Eugene he says brother Eugene and say oh I was talking to Tabitha and oh sister Tabitha and you know it's always brother or sister and you know that's right I'm just telling you, that's right. We are members of the household of God. What a joy. What a, you have citizenship. You belong somewhere. If you just receive what Jesus has done, now we can become. Now, now here's what I want to caution you. We are in the habit, most of us, of, of treating the house of God like a restaurant. Have you ever gone into a restaurant and... Uh, it's like you sit down, you order your food. This is what I want. This is my preference, right? And, uh, you know, if the wait, waiter or waitress is too slow, maybe you snap your fingers or you shout them down or whatever, and they'll come. And, uh, you know, if there's anything wrong with your, your dish, you'll send it back. Get me the manager. I need to talk to somebody about this. And depending on how the service and the food is, we'll determine if I'm going to give a good tip or if I'm not going to give any tip. And uh, boy, if this just wasn't good enough, then you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else where I can be fed. Wow. 
<laughs> Imagine for a moment, you go and you sit at your mom's table. Mom, where's my food? You know, this is just real bland tonight. Did you forget to season this? I need to talk to the manager. Where's dad? Right? And you imagine if you did that. Um, yeah, would you go ahead and take this plate for me? I'm done. You know, I don't know what kind of house you grew up in. I'd be tasting the back side of my mom's hand if I was talking to her like that, probably. I don't know what kind of house you grew up in. But listen, we treat the house of God like that. Well, if I'm not satisfied, I'm just not being fed. I'm going to go. Listen, we participate. We are members of the household. This is not a... No, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And when we come into the house of God, that's exactly how we should come into the house of God. Not to say, well, what can you do for me? Well, I wasn't satisfied, so I'm not giving this week, and I'm going to go somewhere else. That's not how it works. We're members of a household and you need to treat this as if it was your own house I'm not saying that we're perfect because we're not we're not but if you're here and you notice boy the music was just it was off you know that thing just sounded weird then guess what member don't complain come over here and I'll show you how to move these knobs around and uh, and we'll, we'll figure this thing out right I mean you know I just don't know about that kids ministry well guess what you can go and help us take it to the next level, right? I'm just telling you, there is something. Instead of, instead of complaining about stuff, let's be members of the household and let's do our part. I'll be an intercessor. I'll be a prayer worker. I'll, I'll give my time to the youth ministry. Uh, you know, I can help build something around the church. I can mow the lawn. I can... There's so much that we can do, I tell you. Mm -hmm. All right. I better, I better end before I get in trouble, okay? Minister Ryland, would you come? I'm, I'm done. Let me give you the last one right here. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself is a chief cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The last thing that Paul said, you're without. Without God, he says you are without God. You have no God. But what's amazing is if you grasp what the Bible is offering us today, not only do you have God, God is with you. God has saved you. He's near to you. But you can even become a dwelling place for God. Whoa! Why is it that we can pray for people in a healing time and bodies get healed? Not because, it's just like Peter said in, in, in the book of Acts, not by my godliness, not by my power, but it's God operating in us. How can we prophesy and do that sort of thing? We do that every Tuesday night. Well, how does that happen? God is working through us. That's, that's what this is all about. We can become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have a great, great privilege of not only having God with us, we have God in us. What a joy. Let me give you one more verse and I'm done. 1 Peter 2.5 You are living stones that God is building together into His spiritual temple. What's more, your holy priests. Through the meditation 
of Christ Jesus, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We think about Jesus. We pray. We love on Jesus. That's a sacrifice to God. But the first part there, we are stones that are being built together into a spiritual temple. Oh, my goodness. Guys, that's big. Here's what I want to point out to you. I've heard people, I don't need to go to church. I am the church. Here's the problem with that. Every time you see this verbiage, you'll see it in 1 Corinthians. You see it in Ephesians. We read the verse today. You see it there in 1 Peter. Every time you see it, it's not you by yourself. It's we fit together. We frame together. We stone upon stone built together are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not a solo temple. doesn't work that way. Show me in Scripture. Every time you see it in the Bible, it's us together. And so what our job is, I've, I've really already talked about it, but what I love is that picture of living stones. You know, bricks, bricks all need to be the same. If bricks aren't the same, the wall, the building, whatever you're, you're putting together, that doesn't work right, right? Bricks, they all need to be the same. It's all uniform. Everybody needs to be like this, and then it's going to be perfect. That's not how living stones are. One thing I love about Hawaii is you go around and you can see, you can see all of this beautiful stonework, walls and buildings and all of these that are put together. And what's amazing about that is you have some stonework or some mason who, who took a stone and he examines that thing and it fits right here. Then he takes another stone and no, not there, right here. And they fit that thing and frame that thing together and when it's done, oh, it's a temple. That's how God deals with us. Let me just be honest with you guys. I've got gifts. My wife's got gifts. We've got a lot of people in this church with gifts. We've got a lot of holes in the walls too. I mean, really, there's a lot more that the Lord desires to do here. And there's certain holes and certain gaps within this church and within this ministry I cannot fill because I'm, I'm fitting somewhere else. There's a place where only you can fill that gap. A place where only you can be fit together in that place. We can try and put you in youth ministry. Maybe that's not your deal. You're built for kids. Wonderful. Maybe you want to be on the worship team, but you don't got the voice. You got no musical, whatever. You can run a soundboard. You can help with our live stream. Or whatever. There's a place for each and every one of you. And this is the challenge that I want to leave with everybody here today. We're going to pray for those who maybe don't know Jesus as Savior, but my task for everybody. Where do you fit within the body of Christ right now? And I want to challenge you. If you don't have a job, if you're not doing something to serve the Lord or serve the family of God, begin to pray and ask the Lord. Talk to my wife. Talk to myself. Talk to one of our ministers, one of our leaders. Is there something I can do to help? Wow, that... I'd love to be a part of what is going on Mondays in, in the youth ministry. You know, come, let's, let's talk together about those things. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. The very first thing I shared today Maybe you're here and you realize you need a Savior. 
Maybe you're here today and you know that there's things that are in your life, in your heart, that grieve the heart of God, that are separating you from Him. Jesus shed His blood. His desire is to give you His perfect life. All we have to do is receive it. I read the verse earlier. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You may not know how to do that. I'm going to help you with the words, but I just want to know. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before other people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before other people, I'll deny you. And that's why I ask. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment if you say, I need Jesus to forgive me. I need my sins washed away. And if you do that, it's just going to be between me, you, and the Lord, but you're going to be able to say, I, I wasn't ashamed, and I made it known that I needed to know Jesus. I needed, I needed forgiveness. So if you're here today and you say, I've, I have sin in my life, but I want it gone. I want Jesus to cleanse me. I want to know that my home is in heaven. I want to know that I'm right with God before I leave here today. With nobody looking around, every eye closed, everyone praying. You say, I need that forgiveness. I need that Savior. I need Jesus in my life. If that be you, right now, I want you to slip up your hand so I know exactly who I'm praying for. Yeah, I see you back there. Are there others? Are there others? Come on. I just want to see your hand. Who am I praying for this morning? Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, I see you there. Are there others? Are there others? Hallelujah. Can we all just lift our hands as a sign of surrender? And I want you to pray this with me right now. Everybody pray, dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me by your blood. Wash away my sin. Give me your righteousness. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for taking my punishment. Thank you for rising from the dead. Lord, I believe you're coming back soon. And I'm going to be ready because I choose today to live my life for you. I ask you, Lord, be my Savior, be my King, be my very best friend. Live your life through me and show me where I fit in the temple of God. Show me my calling and I'll be faithful to do what you ask me to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on.